Good morning. Hey. Nice to see you all. And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a strange thing because so many of our people are all over the place today. But we're here. And I believe the right people are here to hear what God wants to say to them. And my prayer is that every one of us leave here knowing that we've met with God. I want to talk this morning about shipwrecks. <laughs> shipwrecks. Wrecks of ships. And Paul was called by God to be an apostle, a sent one. And he had all sorts of things going on in his life. But one of the things that happened was this. He was arrested, brought before all the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, they were telling lies about him, a bit like they did with Jesus, you know. This. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. 14th night! When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, it's encouraging, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all, and he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. I don't know about you, but I often think of that as just, it's just a little boat with about half a dozen on there. But it wasn't. It was a big boat. It was a big ship. 276 of them. All throwing up over the side and all panicking. It was a wonderful place to be. But there were 276 on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. They then hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar. And ran aground. The bow, the bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. How many have found anything pleasurable in this so far? You know? But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of ship. In this way, everyone, like he said, reached safety. The life of Paul was quite an exciting one, really. Um, 
It wasn't always like this. There's one little verse that said he stayed in a certain place for three years and made tents. You know, he did have his quiet times. But he had a kind of a, a life that was adventurous. He was a man called of God. And when he met Jesus, one time in his life, it changed everything when he invested his life in serving God and reaching people for Jesus. He established churches, he mentored people, and he, and he continued to do that work throughout his life. He was called of God, he had a purpose, and everything went absolutely smoothly. No, it didn't. And I want you to know that when you follow Jesus, don't expect it all to go smoothly all the time. There are good times, there are bad times, there are seasons. But here Paul was experiencing one of those moments when it didn't go smoothly at all. If you want a, a little kind of an account of Paul's life, he, I won't read it all, but in 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 11, right? It goes about what happened to him, how he was let down from a, 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 a window in a basket to escape people that wanted to kill him and all this and all that and all the other. And verse 25, it says, three times I was beaten with rods. This is his job description, right? Once I was pelted with stones. In one verse it says I was stoned, but it doesn't mean that at all. You know, you just get mixed up with the terminology. I was pelted with stones three times. Three times I was shipwrecked. And I spent the day and night in the open sea. And here we have one of his three shipwreck experiences. Shipwreck. A shipwreck means to break a ship. So when a ship is wrecked, it is broken. How profound is that? It's used literally here to describe a shipwreck. The ship got stuck on the sandbar, it got dashed to pieces, and people were worried about getting drowned. And there's a, you know, we live on an island, don't we? And our coast is surrounded by shipwrecks. Oh, it's a bit dark, isn't it? Not dark enough, I mean. Look at that. It's a bit light, I mean. Look at that. It's... it's Oh, it's not brilliant, but all those red bits are shipwrecks. And they're all around our coast. I'm not sure how many we've got. I know we've got more than Switzerland, but we've got quite a lot of shipwrecks around our coast. No, you didn't get that, did you? We've got more than Switzerland. Switzerland is a landlocked country, so we don't have shipwrecks. Um, keep awake. But apparently there are 40,000, what you switch it on for? There are 40,000. <laughs> Have you got the other picture, please? Thank you. There are, 40, there are still 40,000 shipwrecks waiting to be found around the United Kingdom coast. For, how do they know if they haven't found them yet? An educated guess, 40,000. You can switch the light on now, thanks. Thank you, you did that really well. Um, now, Paul had a shipwreck. Shipwrecks happen. But I want to use that experience of Paul and just perhaps apply it to some areas of our lives, whether or not we go sailing. You see, Paul later used the word shipwreck to describe people falling away from their faith, about their shipwreck shipwrecking their faith so it's not just a literal thing I believe that there are many many lives I hope there's not 40,000 in Sutton that are waiting to be found shipwrecks but if there are I know the answer and that's Jesus 
I think, I think we can all identify with shipwreck experiences, don't we, in our lives? Where our lives, our relationships, our experiences have been broken. It'll apply to past lives. Do you know, some of you can look back at your life as it was and what a mess you made of it. That's not a condemnatory thing because left to our own devices, we all mess up. There are certain things in our past lives and you look back and you see this horrible shipwreck. You see this brokenness and you see this mess up and you think, oh, well, do you know something? Whatever you've messed up in the past, the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness, the grace and the love of God forgives you and sets you free from that. You know, I know that there are things that we've done in our past lives and the effects of them still do, do affect us. You know, I, I, I've got uh, I had a little operation once on my finger and I've got a scar there. The problem is gone, but there's a little mark that reminds me I had that. There are things in our lives that we still have to kind of live with, but do you know something? Whatever's happened in the past, God's forgotten it. He's forgiven you because of Jesus. All right? But there are also, even in our Christian lives, there are things we get wrong. And we can, do you know, we can look back on it. If you've been a Christian for a while, you can look back and think, I wish I hadn't done that. And there are shipwrecks. There are shipwrecks of relationships. There are things that we've done wrong. There are things that we've said wrong. There are things that we have regrets about. You've sought to do your best and tried to live right, yet bad stuff has happened. Well, I've got news for you. When we follow Jesus... It doesn't always go smoothly. But just like with Paul, when we look back, we can have confidence that actually God's in control. You see, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. There's a promise for you. You know, you know there's these little things called promise boxes. And you, it's like a lucky dip for what God wants to say to you. And they're always nice. It's an old-fashioned thing. They don't do them now, I hope. You do it online. Um, but no, there's but, but never a one in there that says, in this world you'll have trouble. But it's in the Bible. It's there. And it's true. But take heart, he said, I've overcome the world. Shipwrecks, when life and our plans get messed up, can actually help us, make us, or mess us up. When shipwrecks happen, when things in your life happen, One of the things it can do to us is make us feel like victims. (laughs) Paul in that boat was doing what God wanted him to do, going where God wanted him to go, and for 14 nights was being thrown here, there and everywhere and nearly got drowned. I wonder if the words ever passed his lips, this ain't fair. This is not fair. He wasn't doing anything wrong. You know, there was a story about a man called Jonah once. And he was on a boat, and there was a terrible storm. And, he, and the storm was there because he was running away from God. So they kicked him over, and he was swallowed by a big fish, and three days later was vomited up on the ground. That's twice I've used the word vomited in one sermon. Don't usually say it at all. But Paul wasn't running away from, jo- uh, from God like Jonah was. He'd been arrested in Jerusalem and was being sent to Caesar, as I said. He wasn't being disobedient. He wasn't running from God. 
And do you know something? When things go wrong, as we seek to follow God, do you know the criticism often comes, oh, well, if you were in the center of God's will, it wouldn't be all going wrong. I'm sure you're not doing something right. Don't let condemnatory people put you off what God has called you to do. Because half the time when things go wrong, it's a jolly good sign that you're doing something right. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And if you're doing something that's worth doing, I want you to know that we have a spiritual enemy who is not happy about that and will try and make things not go smoothly for us, whip up the wind and try and shipwreck us. And we're in the middle of that shipwreck and we think, what on earth is going on here? I'm a victim. Poor old me. Don't worry about it because it gets bumpy sometimes. There's this, there's this little lie that says this, that the center of God's will is the safest place on earth. No, it jolly well isn't. It could be the most dangerous place on earth. Except for the fact that God is in control, which is jolly good. You know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. Then you go to heaven. Hallelujah. Jesus, now Paul said, for me to live is Christ. To die is going on holiday. To die is, to die is gain. You can't lose, can you really? Did you see that little letter? If you're a visitor, I do that sometimes, all right? Don't worry about it. It's just, it's right. I'm not having a funny turn. It's just, it's just normal. Perhaps my life is one big funny. Do you know? Never forget we're in a... Oh, Eunice is giving me a marvellous look here. There's a list of people of faith in Hebrews 11. And these are the wonderful people of faith. And it says all sorts of things. But it says, women received back their dead, raised to life. There were others who were tortured. I'll praise um, it. Tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. And that literally means cut in half. They were killed by the sword. They were, about, uh, they were destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Who wants to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus? Well, I do, actually. I do. It says here, the world wasn't worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes. Who's got the audacity to tell them that they were lesser Christians because they're having a hard time and you must have been doing something wrong then, mustn't you? No, you mustn't have been doing something wrong. They were people of faith who had a better thing to live for than the world in which we live. Therefore, since we are surrounded by that great crowd of witnesses, it says in chapter 12, let us throw everything off that hinders and let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Okay, to be in a shipwreck. To be in a shipwreck, you have to be in a ship going somewhere. You know? Um, I love to go to Portland down in Dorset. I do a bit of bird watching I know that's very sad in some people's eyes but it's the truth and at the end of Portland Bill there you get some pretty rough weather and sometimes and it can be a bit blowy down at Portland all you Dorset people over there you know and I stand on the solid ground and I watch these ships go these little fishing boats and I think do you know what I won't say what I'd do if I was, because that would be the third time I used the word, but I would not feel very well. 
If I was on that boat, but I'm not seasick, I'm not in danger of having a shipwreck because I'm on solid ground and I'm watching those poor guys with their oil skins on. Well, that's a bit old-fashioned, isn't it? They were their synthetic weatherproof gear on. You only get in danger of a shipwreck if you're on a ship going somewhere. Do you know what? One of the things is this, that if you are on a ship that's in a dry dock, going nowhere, you're safe. Absolutely safe. But I want you to know that you are not fulfilling God's purpose for your life. He's called us to go. We are people with a purpose, and we are people who are called to take risks. We are people who must be willing to get things wrong and be criticized because of our security is found in Jesus, not in man's approval or man's ideas. It's found in him. And you know, in the midst of that terrible, terrible shipwreck experience when the storm was doing all, Paul had some words of faith for the other guys there. He had a confidence, actually, that he was going to get through this because God had told him. Years ago, I knew a guy, some of you, oh, none of you know his name except Judith or Eunice. Warwick Shenton, do you remember him? Yeah, 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 Warwick Shenton. Some of you might, yeah, of course you do. He died some years ago, but he was a great guy. And um, he was on an air trip once with his wife. And I remember him telling me this. He said that um, the plane started doing things that, you know, the, the, the encouraging little talk the air stewardess give you about, you know, if we're going to crash, we're all going to die. But the oxygen will come down and you'll be all right and put your head in the bracing position and you'll still die. No, no, say, it's safe. Travel in air is safe. But he was in this aeroplane and it started doing things. And his wife was, and everyone else started screaming. And it was, oh, it was the nightmare thing that you just, just don't want to know. Do you know something? He was as calm as could be. Do you know why? Because he knew that God had called him to go to the place that he was going to. And there was not a shadow of doubt that he was not going to get there because he was in an air wreck, potentially. But he knew that he was going to get through it and get through the other side. Because he was, he was having a conversation with God about it. And he knew that that was not going to be the end. He wasn't a victim. Actually, those guys on that boat, they, didn't, they might have felt like victims. But do you know, they needed to look at the bigger picture. Because they became survivors. That's good, isn't it? Survivors. The centurion wanted to spare Paul's, Paul's life because they wanted to kill the prisoners because they thought they were going to escape. And he kept them from being killed. And it says in verse 44, everyone reached land in safety. They were all survivors, all 200 and what is it, 76 or 67, whatever. All of them. They got to the, and it was on a place called Malta. The island of Malta. Might have been there for your holidays. Isn't it good to survive? Oh, to be a survivor. There was that fellow got lost in the jungle recently, wasn't there? Twit. <laughs> but he was a survivor. They got him in the end. He was a survivor. It's good to survive through hard stuff. And you know, people have survived some awful experiences. Perhaps there are people here, you've been through some rubbish in your life. 
Isn't it good you survived? You got it, you made it. I got through, I survived. That's not going to get me anymore because I'm on the beach and I've survived. Oh, it was horrible at the time, but I am a survivor. Survivors need to be honoured because you've, there are people that have dealt with stuff that is just awful. And the fact you've come through it and you survived, we honour you for that, whatever it is. But I want you to know that survival is just a stepping stone for what's more. It's not, it's not enough to survive. Jill spoke really well a few weeks ago. I don't mean to sound that surprised that she spoke really, she spoke really well. No, she spoke really well about not just being a, not surviving, but thriving. And you see, I'm not nicking that, but I'm just referring to it and giving the credit to Jill. To be a survivor is great. Thank you, Lord, I've survived. But what's next? What am I here for? You see, on the beach, on the beach in Malta sounds good, except this was a stinking, horrible, wet morning. They were soaked through to the skin. It was wet, it was cold, and it was only a place for them to move on from. You see, we can be held back by feeling a victim of life's shipwreck and be satisfied with surviving it. Whereas actually God wants us to move on to what is next. Let's not be satisfied with being a survivor. Hey, what are some great songs sung this morning? Um, I always enjoy our worship, but there are some songs that we like, but there must be more than this. I keep saying that sometimes. Hey, whatever there is in your Christian life, there must be more than it, because there is. Because we serve a, a... an almighty God who's got a great big project for you. It's called Project Your Name. And there must be more than this. And there is more than this. And so he doesn't want us just to be survivors, but he also wants us to move on to become not victims, not survivors, but victors. To actually build upon and get off the beach do you know what happened on the beach, don't you? He was a survivor. So he got some, Paul, this is Paul, the man of God. He, and, and, you know, it had all gone wrong, but he had survived. Oh, isn't that good? So he was picking up some firewood and a jolly, a jolly snake. I don't know what breed it was, but it was a jolly snake was in the sticks that he was going to put on the fire. And as he was going to put it, I don't blame the snake for this, really. It bit him. And everyone who saw it thought, cool. Call himself in the, in the will of God. He's come through that shipwreck and now he's got bitten by a poisonous snake. It doesn't get any better. Except it did get better because he got better and it never hurt him. He just shook the, the snake up in the fire and everyone looked at him and said, come on, wait. I put, probably might have started a book to see who's going to time him. How's he going to fall over? Well, you know, who's going to, two minutes, three minutes? And he kept looking and looking and he survived again. He survived. You see, Paul was delivered for a purpose. His safety from the shipwreck was not an end in itself, that was survival, but an opportunity for him to move forward and to serve God. Do you know, I believe God wants to do miracles in our lives. But it's important to see the purpose of the miracle God does for you and what God wants us to do on the basis of that. 
Because what you can actually do is you can sit back and think, well, that was a wonderful miracle. Hallelujah, I'm going to sit down now, and that's it. But you need to say, Lord, you have brought me through that. I've survived. Oh, I've been bitten by a snake, but I've survived. What have you established me here and now for? What is next? You know, there's another story of Paul, another exciting moment in his life. In Acts chapter 16, um, Paul and his mate Silas were in a prison. And it wasn't, you know, a beautiful prison. It was a horrible prison. But they were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. And it says this, there was a violent earthquake. This is his Acts 20, 16, 25 to 34. I'm not reading it, I'm referring to it. There was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prisons were shaken. And at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Can you imagine if that happened in Parkhurst or, or Wormwood Jolly Scrubs? That's where the Jolly Snakes are in Jolly Anyway, and, and, and they went... Dropped off their hands. The jailer called for lights, rushed and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He thought, I'm in for it because they're all going to run away. Sirs, he said, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, and you'll be saved. And they spoke the word of God to him and to all the others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And he and his household were baptized they all believed in Jesus. Now, who was the, who was the earthquake for? <laughs> well, the earthquake was for Paul and Silas because he set them free. But actually, the earthquake was for the jailer and his family because Paul and Silas were set free so that the jailer could say, what on earth do I do to get saved? How does this happen? I want what you've got. And him and his whole family got saved. And who knows what happened when that family got saved and the neighbours got saved and the whole town got saved. The earthquake was a miracle, but it wasn't a miracle just for the guys who were praying and singing praise all night long. It was a miracle that started a chain reaction in that family. That's what it was about. And when you get a miracle, you've got to say, Lord, what is it for? What is it for? Paul was kept alive after the shipwreck. As I said, he was bitten by a snake and he survived. And then it says in Acts chapter 28, there was an estate nearby. That's not a car. That's actually an estate where Publius, the chief official of the island, lived, okay? He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality. His father was sick in bed. Get this. He had a fever. He had dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer placed his hands on and healed him. Now hang on. His, this victim had been sent to this uh, rich man's house and he prayed and healed his dad in the name of Jesus. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Whoa. Who was the shipwreck for? <laughs> Who was the, uh, the survival for? It was for Paul and his guys to be able to go to that island and pray for that man who was sick with dysentery and whatever else he had and for people to come and hear the name of Jesus heals from sickness. And you can be sure that they came to faith and they, many people must have come to faith on the island of Malta because of that shipwreck that landed him as a survivor, but he became a victor. 
And I just want you to know that sometimes we need a miracle, yeah? We do need a miracle sometimes, it happens. But, it, but when we get that miracle, okay, that's God answering our prayer. We need a miracle and then we get a miracle. But then I believe God wants us to be a miracle. You know, to be the agent of another miracle because of what he's done for us. When he does stuff for us, it builds our faith so that we can transfer that and, uh, and move it on. Paul then continued to roam the place where he was called to go and serve. But he had that little rough patch in the middle, but he made the most of it. Can I say, when you have rough patches in the middle, they are there for you to become stronger, to know God better, and to take advantage of so that he can use you in a greater way. Why did this happen to me? Well, it wasn't just to get me out of a scrape. It was to establish me to do something for you. Shipwrecks come in many types. Past mistakes, they're forgiven by God's grace. They don't belong to you anymore. They can be a source of continued guilt and condemnation, but not in God's eyes. Some of our shipwrecks can be down to us in part or in whole. We'll receive forgiveness where needed and be obedient in restoring things where possible. Okay, but other shipwrecks simply happen. They just happen. They can't be avoided. He was on that ship and it started getting thrown around in the sea. Things happen. But I want you to know that we can have a confidence that our lives are governed not by faint, not by fate, not by a bit of luck, but by the purposes of God. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows all about you. He knows the purpose he has for you and he works for the good of those who love him. So I want to encourage you, don't be a victim. Don't be a victim. Don't say, why me? It's not fair. If Jesus on the cross had said, why me? It's not fair. Where would we be today? The Bible says we're crucified with him. We identify with him. So we need to be willing to suffer sometimes or go through the rough times but don't be a victim in your mentality God doesn't make mistakes he doesn't do accidents he has purpose Paul the shipwreck man gave some good advice to Timothy to help him avoid a shipwreck he said this my son I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies that once were months made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well he said this holding on to faith and a good conscience that's a good thing to do hold on to faith and a good conscience okay which some have rejected so and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith when I do you know I just want you to know that uh, Veronica is not being convicted and leaving she has to go to work but some have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith but that will not happen if we are hold on to faith and a good conscience when I was ill about seven years ago someone said to me did your faith suffer were you having a crisis of faith I said no actually if it wasn't for my faith I would not survive would never survive Disciples feared a shipwreck. It doesn't always happen the same. They were in the sea, and it was tossing. So they woke Jesus up, and he said, stop, and it was calm. Same picture, different outcome. Sometimes it will calm down. Sometimes it will get wrecked. But in it all, God is in control. 
We are people of a purpose. We are here, people of faith and relationship with God. Let's have a good conscience, and these should both be held tightly and valued because they'll see us through every shipwreck of life. The one thing that must not be shipwrecked is our faith in Jesus. This must never be broken because it's the foundation of our lives. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Father, we do thank you that we are assured, actually, well, most of the time, because we do get our doubts sometimes, we get our fears, we get the things that wind us up, we get the things that make us fearful and make us doubt sometimes. But Lord, help us to hold on to you. Help us to keep a good conscience. Help us not to do the things that we know are in disobedience to you that trouble our conscience, but to be people of faith. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in each one of our lives. Don't embarrass you, but Susan said earlier on, isn't it great to know God in my life over these past, this past year or so? That's a testimony. That's a witness from somebody who's come into a new relationship with God. And that is a powerful thing. And, and Susan, I want to say that God has got a, a destiny for you, a purpose for you, as he has with us all. I don't always pick on people, but I felt I should just now. Be encouraged. So, Father, we come this morning and ask that, Lord, you will help us to fix our eyes on you, to know you, and to walk with you in Jesus' name. And as I close, I'm not going to spend any time on this, but I want to say to you, if there's anyone here who has never, ever come to Jesus, received forgiveness and setting free from the past, the shipwrecks of life that still weigh heavy on you, do you know you can know a deliverance from that? You can know a setting free from that. You can know forgiveness and God's grace that will not affect you anymore. You won't feel guilty anymore. We no need to. If you want to know more about that, if you want to know Jesus in a personal and powerful way, let's not muck about. Can I just ask you just to raise your hand, give us a wave, and we'll talk to you at the end, and, and that'd be great. Can you just do that right now? Anybody? I'm looking all around the room. Just want to give you the opportunity because it's a great opportunity. Amen. The opportunity's not gone, by the way. Do talk to one of us if you'd like to respond. Can we have the band up? It'd be good to sing that final.